You're listening to Fed Talks, Episode 4, with Jimmy Chrisman. Fed Talks is a podcast for theater teachers and theater education students. Hi, I'm Jimmy Chrisman, and I am a theater education professor at Illinois State University. Each week, I want to bring you stories and interviews from experienced K-12 theater teachers, current theater education majors, and professors of theater education that will warm your heart, renew your faith in teaching, and provide resources to better your practice in your theater classroom. Welcome to this week's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I am excited to bring you this one um, in particular. I interviewed Heidi Breeden, and I am excited for you to hear what she has to say. She has some really interesting information about self-care for theater teachers, um, dealing with difficult administration, and she has some really interesting experiences of working with playwrights on original material with her students, as well as incorporating that into dramaturgy work with high school students, which I know is something um, that I found a difficult time doing and doing well that kept my students engaged and interested. So I was excited to hear about what she did and and how she did that. So I hope you will enjoy that interview. Uh, You can always contact me and reach out at fedtalkspodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at theateredtalks, Tumblr on fedtalks.tumblr.com. You can find us on Facebook at Fed Talks, Instagram at Fed Talks Podcasts, and of course our website, www.fedtalks.com. If you are interested in hearing about specific topics on the show, please reach out to me and let me know on any of those social media platforms or on email. If you'd like to be a guest, I'm always looking for interesting people to talk to about their their work and what they're doing, not just high school teachers and um not just from North Carolina and Illinois. So please reach out to me. I'd love to talk with you and set up a time to, to interview and, and get you on the show and, and share your ideas. So thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy what Heidi has to say. So I am excited to have on the show today Heidi Breeden. She is a longtime friend of mine. Um, I won't go into all the, the sordid history that she and I have. Sordid's a bad word, but um, we go way, way back <laughs> when we were children in church together. Heidi, tell us a little bit about kind of what brought you where you are now, a little bit of your teaching experience, productions that you did, like your program size and all that good stuff. And also, what are the really cool things that you're doing right now? All right, cool. Yeah. Um, so I have taught across the gamut from very low income public middle school. That was my first year teaching to very affluent public high school, um, which they called the public private school where we were. And I've also taught at a small private Christian school. So I've had programs as tiny as 30 students and as large as about 350 teaching. And then we had about 50 in the musical and about 150 of them were involved in some way in one of the six to eight productions we did per year. Um, So I have a pretty big range of experience, which is good and has kind of gotten me to where I am now, where um, what I've found over the years is a lot of common themes. I've worked in four different schools and across the gamut, the kids all kind of needed the same thing. They needed to know that they had something of worth to offer the world and that it was valuable that they share it and that it was worthy of being shared. And that looked a little different depending on the demographic but those basics were the same. And the teachers that I've worked with all have the same basic need of self-care and investment in themselves so that they could better invest in their students. 
So what that has brought me to is, oh, and I have an MFA in directing that I also quit teaching for three years and got. I went to Baylor University and it's fantastic and Sikkim Bears and yay Lady Bears because they just won the the big basketball thing that I don't know the name of. So yeah. So with all that, doing the thing of deciding if you're a teacher or a director and what's your job, I really came to, I'm both. And I want to do both. And so my sister, who is amazing and brilliant, and I don't have to tell you because you already know all that, uh, has a nonprofit. And she had been teaching art and music lessons for the longest. And she said, hey, do you want a theater company? And I was like, oh, well, that was easy. (laughs) Um, I was like, can I do stuff for teachers too? And she was like, yeah, because I want to do stuff for everyone. So now I am the artistic director, which is way fancier than it is, (laughs) um, of Arts for All. And we provide high quality arts education and service to teachers. So we create opportunities for teachers to do stuff they want to do for free and then give them continuing education credit for it. And it's my favorite free work I've ever, ever done. And where is Arts for All uh, based? We're based in Cornelius, North Carolina, which is kind of a suburb of Charlotte and right near the lake. But that being said, we do offer programming. This year, we were in partnership with Actors Theater of Charlotte. So we aren't just in studio. Um, And a lot of what we hope to do in the future as we have more flexibility is I can come to you and help you make your program stronger in person, hopefully. That's awesome. That'll be really useful for teachers, I think, because professional development and and getting those artists into their classrooms is sometimes hard. It's very difficult to do and finding the time to do that is hard. Yeah. Well, and it's hard for teachers to give themselves the time to do it. It feels very selfish. I was the best teacher I'd ever been the year after I took the summer, went to Chicago and saw as many plays as I could see because I was tired and burnt out and just wanted to do something fun. And then look, it magically made me a better teacher. That was professional (laughs) development. I didn't get credit for it. So at Arts for All, we're looking at how can we do these experiences that teachers want to do, but feel they can't give themselves, but that are serving their classroom also. That's fantastic. So tell us a little bit about your, your own personal self-care practices. And because I, I know when I, when I was in the classroom, it it was, I was burnt at both ends and, Mm -hmm. and, but finding the energy and keeping going for the kids. I mean, everyone says the kids are worth it and they are, but at the same time, how do you, how do you find uh, taking care of yourself? You know what I'm asking. How do you take care of yourself in that? Um, Well, I think the first um, big thing is understanding that you are not the only person with this problem. I think people feel like they're crazy and they feel like I can't be burnt out because everybody else is doing great, but everybody else is absolutely not doing great. And that's the biggest, I think, the thing that we could all do so much better, to be honest, not for ourselves, but for other people around us that we love and care about. Um, And so my biggest things are sleeping. This is just me. My body wants to sleep and needs to sleep. And I choose a migraine headache or six hours of sleep. And I get one or the other. And I'm always glad when I made myself go to bed. Also, having a friend at work in the building who is an ally and also who is just a silent listener and absorber of whatever um, so that you can just go in their room and just be like, hey, let me tell you about this kid who is driving me crazy right now so that I say it out loud to you and not in front of a student. Or let me say this thing that this 
administrator told me that I will have to deal with the right way, but I'm not going to lose it in front of them. Like just being able to release it and move on from it because often the problems that we have got get so much bigger when we just try to keep them closed in. Of course we behave professionally, but also part of behaving professionally is knowing where to vent Mm. because if you don't let it out, it's going to come out in the wrong way at the wrong time. So those are my big things. And of course, spiritual practice um, is very important to me. You don't have to be any specific uh, faith background to have a spiritual practice, but find the thing that harnesses your spirit and keeps your soul happy and grounded, whether that is gratitude or meditation or traditional prayer or going to a church worship service, whatever that is, prioritizing that and A thing that's useful for me when telling people that this self-care is so important is that your kids are going to benefit from you being healthy. Self-care is student care. And we kind of get into this trap of if I take care of me, I'm not taking care of these other 50 people, but it's the opposite is true. I agree. I I've also for, for myself, it, it took me 15, 16 years of teaching to finally come to the, the realization that I had to set my, my own boundaries, mm-hmm. I had to set what I was willing to accept and do. And if that stack of papers didn't get graded today while I was at school and had my planning period, it was not going home with me. Right. Yeah. And that uh, rehearsals, we're going to end at six o'clock so I can go home and cook dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, and Friday nights, I'm leaving free so I can go out with a couple of friends for dinner that night and, and right. be an adult. <laughs> um, right, exactly. You cannot be a 24-hour teacher, even though you think you have to. One thing, I mean, on that rehearsal note, goodness, I musical season is hard and you watch teachers go through it all the time, but I promise you, if you commit to finished or not, we leave it this time, you're going to get such better student retention from year to year. You're going to get better performance out of those students because they're going to see that you respect their time and they're going to feel like they owe you a little, not that you should use that, but if you have to use it, use it. So it, I just, for me, it's just, it's so important to help teachers understand that this stuff is not just okay, but so valid and so important. And that's what's going to make you successful for many years. First year teacher me with all the students' problems are my problems could not be functioning right now. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, so I'm going to shift gears just a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I, the, a couple of other people that I've talked with so far, we've also talked about dealing with your administration mm-hmm. and how a supportive administration can make or break a teacher. Um, and, and how, how vital they are to a successful program. And we also know that there are those difficult administrators out there as well that, that, we, that are not supportive and are not, do not have our backs all the time. So talk to me a little bit about your experience with administration. So I have worked with two amazing administrators and one extremely difficult administrator and um, a couple in between, of course, because there's a lot of in between. And the thing that has kept me sane through the difficult was learning how to do a little bit of the same stuff I do in the classroom when I'm interacting with that administrator. So I'm hearing the words that they say and hearing the message that they are giving verbally, but I'm also watching for cues as to what their mindset is and listening to what their unspoken priorities are. Does that mean everything is smooth? Oh, no. 
goodness, I have been the bad girl of the department before. And sometimes it's necessary and worth it. And you have to just say, this person is not going to like me for X period of time. And that's okay. Uh, I recommend only doing that when it's really, truly the most important thing. Uh, <laughs> which I guess Picking, picking and choosing those battles, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, everything is not worth it. <laughs> um, and I think that there is a place for that fight. I would be lying if I said I've never chosen to fight. But also, if you can find what they really want, what they really, really want that maybe they don't know they want, you will be so much more successful and better off because you'll be able to deliver that thing and hopefully release yourself from any guilt associated with it, with what your program is or should be or what you think it should be. Um, So for me, um, I had a principal who was very concerned with image. And I found that even though, you know, I would ask and ask for specific parameters for things, I learned later than I wish I had that if one parent complained, that was no longer acceptable, even if I was within the communicative parameters. Um, So learning the priorities there that couldn't be spoken out loud for whatever reasons they felt they couldn't say them enabled me to go, okay, I'm going to get a parent board together and they are going to review everything I want to do. So that way I've got that support and I know I'm not going to get surprised later. Mm. Is it foolproof? Is it my favorite? No, but sometimes you want to go home at the end of the day, a whole person and not feeling like you've fought and had this terrible thing that's draining all of your energy. Kids are tiring enough. So, you know, I'm not saying do anything to make an administrator happy, but you're contracted for the year. If you can get through the year, semi-okay, then it's okay if some stuff slipped and wasn't ideal for you. You you said you did what forgive me if I'm 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 mishearing it. You said six to ten productions, eight to ten productions a year when you were teaching? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so that the high end was when um, we had two teachers. Uh there you go. So they weren't all me <laughs> because it would have been impossible. So we would do this is a test of my memory. So the most we did was two one-apps in the fall, two level two or, oh gosh, intermediate level theater productions around end of first semester, two beginning theater some things at some point in the spring, a spring full straight play, a spring musical, and then two more second level theater performances in the spring. Yeah. Wow. So how, how did you talk to me about the planning and scheduling of that? Yeah. Scheduling is a beast. (laughs) Um, When it's busy like that, I would say like nobody should take that on if you're a one person department and that's most people. But the first thing we did was we live and die by calendar. (laughs) And um, that's very rigid and many artists feel like that kind of, tight, tightly bound thing is not for them. And I get that. Um, so maybe you're not the person who's best suited for a giant department. I hate saying it that way, but that's a good way. If you're looking at jobs, maybe that's a thing to consider. Um, so we sit with the calendar ideally in May for the next school year, but sometimes in August, which is a little harder, but can be done. And we put them in, we put in every performance we know we have to have. And then some of those shows are actually being rehearsed and prepared in class. The second level theater thing is happening in class. Uh, We decided because it was simpler for scheduling to turn those into 
either playwriting projects or video projects. So um, we were very fortunate and we had class sets of iPads and they got to play with iMovie, which is not, you know, super fancy, but for them it was something. And then um, those turned into like film festival movie nights, which were a little bit easier to manage than trying to do full on stage with a set production. Mm-hmm. And then beginning theater, of course, also happens in class. So then after school, we're doing fall play rehearsals. And then we're doing musical auditions right after, like the day after the competition that the fall plays go to. We would audition for the musical. We would rehearse the musical until usually it was in March. And then right after the musical wraps, it was like a two week break. And then we would start rehearsal for that final straight play that was after school also. So it was no, for the teachers, it's you don't go home before the sun goes down ever which is exhausting. Like I can't, there's no sugarcoating that one, but um, it's rewarding if you are rewarded by that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. I, we, we did a similar thing in my department when I was teaching about the, the scheduling a whole year in advance. And I think that's a typical thing that a lot of fine arts programs have to deal with. Um, yeah. I know in my case, the, the district would, make reservations over the summer and book things. And if I didn't have it reserved, you know, tough luck. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you get the surprise. We would have the surprise of superintendents coming surprise for having a community meeting. And I think flexibility goes such a long way, especially if you have that difficult admin and you say, Hey, that's fine. I'm going to end rehearsal two hours early and stay and run lights and sound for you. You've bought a little bit of goodwill and you've also made sure that your space is ready for rehearsal tomorrow. Nobody has messed up your equipment and all your lights are not going to be reprogrammed. Even though you're giving a lot of your time, the payback in your sanity is often super duper worth it. Mm -hmm. Did you also find that like there were better times to do things than others when you were doing the scheduling? Like I know for me, Having done the, I did the musical in several different places throughout the academic calendar, and I mm-hmm. think that end of February is the sweet spot for me to do that. I do not ever want to do it again in May because this <laughs> has hit. Yes. Everyone's in the auditorium for awards yeah. nights, and so tell me a little bit about how did that play into your process at all? Yes, so at my first high school, um, which was in Gaston County. And they had, they were very tradition heavy there. Um, So pretty much the calendar was given to me. It was, we always do this, this day. We always do this, this day. And what, and it was, and I just said, okay, that's fine. Um, They did the musical in May every year, Uh, specifically the weekend after Mother's Day every year. (laughs) And it was right in between the next weekend would be the prom. And like, it was, very and part of that is good because they were so stringent on this I did not have conflicts that I was surprised by so that's good the other side of that is you have teenagers in May who don't want to be thinking about school and they sure don't want to be thinking about safe height choreography and they really don't want to think about putting top shoes on and they super duper don't want to do any single thing the week before or after spring break. Um, So (laughs) that was fun. (laughs) Um, They were used to it. They knew the drill, but it was also, um, is something you had to really get used to. I was I was very glad to get control over when I could do things 
after that school. So then when I had more flexibility, we tried one in February. It wasn't my favorite because it was so close to the holiday break. Now, I know you have done some really interesting things in the Charlotte area um, as far as playwriting. You've also done a good bit of work of, of teaching dramaturgy, which I know a lot of teachers have a difficult time with. So can you yeah. share some of those experiences and, and in, any advice with that for us? Yeah. So I think it's super helpful as a theater teacher to be involved in theater outside of your school world. It doesn't feel possible all the time. It feels really, really impossible a lot of the time. Um, But I think the more involved you are, the more your students will see practical applications. And those who are not personally super engaged because they want to be a star might get some piece of something. So for me, I try to make sure my students are aware of what I'm doing and where I'm doing it. And I try to make sure I'm not doing stuff that doesn't somehow serve me artistically or intellectually. Um, Not that, you know, I don't want to do V-Day every year, but (laughs) I've done that a lot. And it's okay to move to a new thing. Um, So I have a wonderful playwright friend who is probably going to be super famous in like 10 minutes. (laughs) Um, Not really, but like kind of, it's one of those. Um, She like sent me a text from Spike Lee once and I was like, Oh, you're famous. Uh, um, So she was kind enough to come in and work with my students on a show that she had written for adults and adult audiences. And she adapted it for high school. And because I had that relationship with her and we worked together and partner on things for various reasons, it wasn't hard to get her to be willing to come in and do that for a teeny tiny, but like, I think we might've given her $50, like not, it wasn't much. And she probably would have done it for free, like probably definitely. (laughs) So those connections kind of help you in your classroom. And then the students get to see what is the process really of making a play. Because the process of making a play is not as fast Mm -hmm. as they think it is, right? The script isn't already there. And even when there's something on paper, they're still feeling what it feels like to say the words and then adjusting so they can hit it just right. Um, And taking the time in rehearsal for that while stressful because schedules are schedules really yield such a stronger product because they feel the sense of ownership and creatorship that's not exactly the same as acting so I think just building those relationships by being involved outside of your school world will really it'll it'll help you be sane because you're talking to somebody who's like over the age of 17 Um, and also will make your work stronger and it'll make your kids better just because you're opening these opportunities. You know, we should do the crucible, of course. I love the crucible. I want to do the crucible. But, like, let's do something new and let them feel what that feels like, too. And then the next thing you get, you mentioned dramaturgy, which really comes right in with new work. And it's so much easier to talk about dramaturgy in the context of new work because no one knows what this thing is yet. Mm-hmm. So we all have to work at figuring out what this thing is. and so they kind of will naturally ask the questions that a good dramaturg would be asking without you having to tell them they have to go research something. Mm. So, you know, when the script says character comes on stage singing swing low, sweet chariot. And the actor says, why am I singing this? I'm going to look up that song. You didn't have to give them a research paper about Negro spirituals, but they did that work. 
Um, so, and that's another, I mean, everything is everything, right? But um, that's that accidental learning. Mm-hmm. You know, they do it on their own because they were motivated to. And then later on you go, hey, you know, there's a whole word for that. Yeah, that's the practice of dramaturgy. You could actually get a master's in that. And then they're like, oh, I'm smart. And you're like, you're right. You're the smartest thing in the whole wide world. Go learn your lines. <laughs> I agree with you. I think it is so important. And I, I constantly tell my, my undergrads that I teach that it is so vital for you to take the time to feed your artists as well. Um, feed your inner artist because you don't want to lose touch with a, what you're teaching, but B, your practice as an artist. I, I, I tell them all the time that I would, I would, I would do shows all the time. I would, I would act, I would direct, and I would invite my students to it. And there are only two groups of people that I get nervous when I go on stage. And it's when I know my parents are in the audience and when I know my students are out there. Oh yeah. And, and I, and I think it's because I want them to, to know that I'm, I don't just spout these words at you, but I practice these things too. Right. Yeah. So uh, it's always a fun experience when they come in and they, we get back to school the next day or, or whenever. And, and they're like, that was really cool. I didn't know you could sing. I didn't know you could dance. <laughs> right. I can't dance, but I can try to move. So thank you for noticing and acknowledging that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think, I think that's extremely important. So thank you for, for bringing that up. I want to hear a couple of the, your, your, favorite stories or your most impactful moments from your career so far? Oh, goodness. They could be horror stories. They could be fun <laughs> stories, meaningful moments, whatever. I have some good I'm a bad teacher stories. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there was the day we were doing a rehearsal and set work day at the same time. Don't ever do that. It's a really bad idea <laughs> um, for West Side Story, which was the first musical I ever directed, which was also a really bad idea. Um, and we had a Maria who was Caucasian, which was also a really bad idea. So she's wonderful, though. She's excellent. And I love her with my whole heart. But we cast that stupidly. But um, so what happens when I'm trying to be teacher, theater director, technical director, scenic designer and costume designer all at the same time is you get a group of eight students backstage behind the curtains who are supposed to be I don't even know what because I honestly can't remember because all I really remember is realizing that they're back there playing spin the bottle with a prop gun (laughs) and it was really fun and I was like hey this is really bad and y'all should just go home and I made it out like you know you behave so poorly I can't even have you here but I really sent them home because I literally did not know what to do (laughs) So um, that's, you know, when I learned you can't do all these things at one time. Like you think it's this great use of time, but you're the only adult in the room and everyone else is not thinking about how little time there is like you are. They're thinking about how there's a prop gun right there and we can touch a gun, kiss each other, do something salacious and not be in view of an adult all at the same time. So um, yeah, that's a fun one. (laughs) That's a terrible story. (laughs) That's fantastic though. Tell me something that, that has impacted you Uh, personally the number of kids who have come to me with issues and concerns that did not affect my class but that were weighing heavily on them from you know something like a difficult grade in a class or you know some problems they were having because of discipline issues to real deep personal turmoil 
I'm, it just, my first few years teaching, I just kept thinking like, do I have a sign over my head that says like, come to me with your issues, you know, but then realizing like, this is what, this is the gift that our job gives us. And this is the power that our job gives us. And the very, the tenuous nature of balancing those things and realizing and honoring that this is a gift, but that your words and your demeanor have this tremendous power and they have this lasting impact in the way that you choose not just to handle those situations that you are aware are a very big deal, but the small things too. A student who I taught a long time ago has had some success um, with spoken word and slam poetry and has a book that just got published. And she recently wrote something on Facebook about Miss Breeden teaching her the importance of self-care on and off stage. I never had a class about that. We never talked about that on purpose. That never was anything. But it's so, I mean, you know, luckily it was a good thing that she learned that I didn't mean to teach her. But that I just, that constant reminder that they are watching and paying attention to everything. And you can have this tremendous power for good if you're mindful of it. Mm. And to be mindful of it, you know, it's a good reminder to like not be a jerk just because you're having a bad day because someone's going to remember that too. Oh, goodness. That, that's good. That's really good. <laughs> because we go into the profession, we, a lot of us go in, and, and, and I find this with my students now, is that they, they want to be that theater teacher that made a difference to them. That, yeah. That's a big draw to doing what we do. And, yeah. and so teaching them the balance of, of wearing that hat of a counselor and, and wearing the hat of a teacher yeah. and, and sometimes even the hat of a parent and, and finding the balance in those to, to be able to say, you know, I, I love you and I know you're going through some stuff, you know, and I'm, I'm here for you. And I think one of the hardest things I had to learn was there are things that you, if you tell me certain things, I have to tell someone else. Yes. And, and that's hard, but, but I found in, in doing that, that the, the, the kids who were going through those things appreciated that because they just wanted to be heard. They wanted someone yeah. to help them. And if yeah. I didn't have those tools to do that, I know someone who can. Right. And so I think, well, I think, and I think that being open about it, I encounter a lot of teachers who are reluctant to tell a student, you know, that they have to say something if they mention certain things, but that openness is so valuable to the student because it's building trust. Even when it feels like they're receiving it as some unkindness, what they're also receiving is this is a person of their word. This is a person who is going to do what they say they're going to do. And that's reliable too. And that's making as much of an impact as being willing to sit there and listen. And even in the frivolous things, you know, I've had students ask me questions that are inappropriate about, you know, what they're allowed to do on a senior skip day, for example. And I've had to say, are you asking Miss Breeden this? Or are you asking Heidi? Because Miss Breeden <laughs> thinks you should come to school every single class, all four periods. Heidi might have a different opinion, but she's not your teacher. <laughs> you know, and that's okay too if you have the backing of consistency and honesty. Otherwise, you are maybe a little bit of a joke teacher, and that's not helpful for anyone. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's true. So I have a couple more questions for you. The one that I want to know is what do you wish you had learned or knew before you started teaching? 
What was something that, that your methods classes and all the things that you did couldn't have taught you? Oh, I mean, it's always classroom management, right? <laughs> you know, how to get them to want to engage mm. when they don't think they want to be there. That's something I, you know, I think everyone has to learn that by trial and error, but I wish there was a way to teach it. Um, and the closest I've gotten is to kind of trick them into thinking they're not doing anything productive so that they'll get there, um, which is not always the best. And it's like, well, how do I fool this kid that I've known for 10 minutes and is already hating my class? And that's hard. Um, and I think I also wish I had internalized every time someone said, this isn't going to be everybody's thing and that's not on you because it's a lot easier now having a lot of years of experience behind me to look at a student and say, you know what, this isn't everybody's thing. This doesn't have to be your thing. Basketball is not my thing and we're going to be okay with that, but you're going to either do the work or not. And I'm going to give you the grade you earn, <laughs> you know, and it's, I hate to say not caring, but somehow not attaching your worth as a teacher to whether or not a student just likes your content. Mm. They're just not going to all like it. That's true. That's very important to know. So I want to know a resource that you are currently using or have used in the past that you think is a must have uh, for teachers who made something to spice oh. their practice. And like so many things. So a super useful thing that I'm obsessed with right now, which is not germane to every theater teacher really, but it's like my new favorite thing to recommend to everyone. There is a blog called Music Directing the High School Musical. Cool. And it is specifically about music direction, um, which I know most of us don't do. But I have found it to be, first of all, there are rough guides for like 20 or 30 shows. So like where really this person has written down, here's every role. Here's how you should think about casting those roles. Here's what to do if you have no budget and need an orchestra. Like it is, oh, it's so good. But the other thing that is super useful about it as a director and not a music director is if you read enough of these posts, it gets into like pre-production, during production, post-production roles and what you should do and contracts and all this stuff. Um, all in separate posts. They take like five minutes or less to read, super short. But you learn a language for speaking with and dealing with music directors, mm, which is super useful. So, and it's not, it's not written that way. So you do have to kind of like gather it, but just reading and seeing, okay, this is the way the music director is approaching this show. This is what the music director is thinking about. This is what they're prioritizing. So if I'm having a problem communicating what I need, this is how I can start to retrain the way I speak so that I will get what I need and the show will be good. And so I think it's like, it's fantastic. It's called Music Directing the High School Musical, which is so random. And I'll try to look for the link and send it to you for real, for real. <laughs> um, it's a couple of years old. Like, I think the most recent thing is like 2013 or something, but it's, it's my new favorite. <laughs> All right. That sounds, that sounds good. Great. Um, a great tool for collaboration. Yes. Doing that in our programs. And then my final question for you is what are your parting words of wisdom to new teachers? Take a nap, take a nap, take a nap. It's okay. It's not going to get done today and it doesn't have to get done today. 
And also, it is not weak to ask for help. It is not a bad teacher to ask for help. And it does not make you look incompetent. Like, that's what the other teachers are there for. And if they're not there for it, they're not nice. And go down the hall and talk to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> well, Heidi, thank you so much for chatting with me today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Of course, anytime. Great information. Can you give us... Um, it's the maybe the contact information or, or website for Arts for All. Yeah, it is www.raarts the number four all.com. I know that's a mouthful. <laughs> all right. Well, good deal. Hopefully, um, hopefully you have some people contact you and, and yeah. you up on uh, what you've got to offer there. So thank you. I wish you and Robin all the best with that. And thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Well, I really enjoyed chatting with Heidi and catching up with her. Heidi and I, like I said in the interview, we were we were family friends from a long, long time ago, uh, growing up together in church and school. Um, I went to school with her sisters, and um, uh, it's just really interesting. It's really, really fun to see what Heidi's doing now and 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 all the really cool things that she's doing and providing for teachers with her new position um, at Arts for All. That website that she talked about is www.raarts4all.com. That's R, the letters R-A, arts, A-R-T-S, the number 4, A-L-L.com. And I've just been looking on their website. There's, you can contact uh, you can contact them, and you can also see what they're doing as far as teacher enrichment goes. I'm looking at it right now. It says teacher pen to play festivals, monthly meetups for teachers, arts experiences for teachers, and uh, teacher artist opportunities. So go check out what they're doing. Um, she and her sister Robin have some really interesting things going on with their nonprofit Arts for All. So please check them out. Thank you so much for listening this week. I hope you enjoyed what Heidi had to say and uh, our, our collective stories together. You can always visit our website and uh, find our the show notes and our archives on our website, www.fedtalks.com. Uh, you can also uh, go on any of your favorite podcast providers on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, Google Podcasts, on Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, AnyPod, TuneIn, and on YouTube as well. Um, go on, subscribe to the show, rate the show, give us some stars, and also review. Tell, tell us what you're liking. Um, and then, of course, share the podcast with people who you think could benefit from it and really enjoy what we have to say here. You can contact me at fedtalkspodcast at gmail.com. Please reach out and let me know if you'd like to be on the show. I'm looking for, for some really interesting people to, to share their stories, again, at all grade levels, not just high school and not just North Carolina and Illinois. So please reach out to me. We'll, we'll set up a time to chat and, and get you on here to share, your, share what you have to say. You can find us on Twitter at Theater Ed Talks, Tumblr, fedtalks.tumblr.com. You can go on Facebook and find us at FedTalks, Instagram, FedTalks Podcast, and again, our website, www.fedtalks.com. Thank you so very much for joining this week. It really means a lot to me that you're listening. Um, it really, really means a lot to see people sharing and and sharing the podcast and sharing their experience with it so far. So I love to hear from you. So please reach out. Let me know what you're thinking. Um, I'm always open to suggestions for improvement as well. So please, uh, please give me that feedback as well. Thank you, Joel Hamlin and Joshua Schusterman for the use of your original song, Magnetize. I'm not sure if anyone is familiar with uh, those two boys, but I've, I've mentioned them every single time on the podcast. And um, it's because I'm extremely grateful for a former student of mine, Joel, who, um, 
composed the music with his buddy Joshua Schusterman. So thank you guys so very much for for sharing your work with us and um, all the best to you and keep, keep doing great things with that. Thank you again for listening and we do hope you check in with us next time.